I'm just going to say it, just, just saying. Just to say that, you know. I ain't say I told you so, I'm just saying. I'm just prepared just in case my understanding of the rapture is wrong. I got enough food to get me through the beginning of the, <laughs> the beginning of the tribulation period. <laughs> All right. Revelation chapter two, starting at verse eight. It reads, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Amen. Father, we thank you for allowing us this opportunity to come again and to look at your word. We know that Revelation is pointing us forward to the time when you will come and put an end to all rule and set up your own kingdom. And during that time period, Lord, there's going to be so much chaos and, and the world is going gonna, is gonna to go crazy because they will be under the wrath of God. And yet you have put these seven messages in the book of Revelation to prepare the hearts and minds of all of your people uh, for that time. Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts. Help us to see that the purpose of prophecy is not just to know the future, but it is to prepare us to live in light of that future now. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be hearers, and not only hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't really want to today necessarily have a sermon on this topic as much as just having a, a conversation, right? Here, as we know, John is on the island of Patmos, and uh, he gets this revelation from Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells him that he is supposed to go and to give this message to the seven churches. Last week, we saw um, the message to the church of Ephesus, and he confronted Ephesus about their lack of love for him. Today, we are looking at this message to the church of Smyrna. And as I said, of the seven churches, there's only two positive messages. <laughs> this is one of them. Okay. And this message is to the church of Smyrna. Jesus is encouraging them to remain faithful. Now, it's important for us to keep this in mind because I believe that the one thing that Christians are always um, tested on is their faithfulness. That is the purpose of, of persecution. 
it is to get you to be unfaithful to the Lord. Now, real quick, I want us to walk our way through some some of these things uh, in, in this text, and then I will uh, let you go. Here, Jesus starts off encouraging them, letting them know something about himself and why that would should be an encouragement to the people that he is writing should be evident. He says, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Jesus, as he starts this encouragement to the people of Smyrna, he lets them know that the one who was speaking to them himself was persecuted. He was killed, and yet death could not hold him. He is the one who was dead and came to life again. That's an encouragement to the people of Smyrna because he, oh, he tells them that they are going to face persecution, however brief the persecution is, right? Whether you want to take the 10 days literally or if you take the 10 days figuratively, t- figuratively of a, a brief amount of time, it is going to be some sort of persecution where their life may be required of them because he says, be faithful until death. He's letting them know that even if their life is required of them and they die for being faithful to him, he is the one who has died and rose again. And because of that, even if they die for him, they will also continue to live. Jesus says he is the one who is dead and who came back to life. He says, just like he told the church in Ephesus, he says this to all of them. He says, I know your works. Now, in Ephesus, that was a bad thing when he said, I know your works. Because then he went on to indict them (laughs) for not loving him with their whole hearts. But here, it is an encouraging thing here for Jesus to say, I know your works. He says, I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty. He knows that they have been persecuted for putting their faith and trust in him. And because of that, they've lost it all. Imagine just because you put your trust in Jesus, they take all your possessions from you and and you have to live in poverty. But Jesus says something interesting about that. He says, I know your poverty and in parentheses, but you are rich. Remember, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of God. You see, you may lose all of your worldly possessions, and I'll follow up with this in a moment. You may lose all your worldly possessions, but if you have Jesus, you are still the richest person in the world. Now, really quickly, I think that's something that we should, should think about. Because I know that it's something that we kind of push to the the farthest reaches of our minds because of the the politics of the issue. But think about increasingly in our country, we now have people who are deciding to stand on their understanding of what the Bible says about marriage. Right. And because of that, they're being sued. Right. I think about, I, c- I can't think of the, the guy's name. He's a, a baker 
I believe in uh, Colorado. And um, and so he he's been asked to to bake cakes for same sex marriages. And, you know, he says, I'm sorry that violates my religious beliefs, but he has a list of people that he can refer them to that will make the cake. That's not good enough. You must make the cake. And so he was sued, spent, you know, uh, luckily, you know, we had places, things like GoFundMe and all, millions of dollars to keep fighting and appealing all the way to the Supreme Court. He has won the case in the Supreme Court. The very next day, he gets a phone call. We would like you to make a cake for our wedding. I'm sorry I can't make the cake. So he's back in court being sued again, and the organization that is suing him keeps saying, has publicly said, we don't care how many times you win. You're going to eventually run out of money to fight these lawsuits. It's happening to him. It's happening to, I forget her name, uh, Burnell is her last name. She's a florist who's a Christian. They're asking her, you got to make the flower arrangements. Oh, no, I can't make the flower arrangements. I have other people that make the flower arrangements. No, you need to make the flower arrangements. And the city sued her and said, not only will you make the flower arrangements, you will go to the ceremony and you will set it up and stay there and help them out. Or we're going to take everything you own from you. Now, when people hear it, they just say, why don't you just make the cake? Many Christians that I know, why don't you just make the cake and forget about it? Who wants to lose everything they own ju just to fight on principle? The question is not necessarily about them. The question is for us. What are you willing to lose for Jesus? I know that we like to say, oh, that's in India, that's in Africa, that's in Afghanistan, that's, that, those are other places. That's not ever going to happen here in America. I was talking to somebody just a couple, we uh, couple weeks ago, and they were saying, well, do you really think that all of the things that are happening to Christians around the world is going to happen to America? I think Jesus is going to come back and save us first. I said, is Jesus saving any of the Christians in, in the other countries from this persecution? Why would you think? Just because we're Americans, Jesus is going to come and save us from it. In Dallas, pastors are being asked to turn over their sermons to the city council so that they can scan their sermons for references to homosexuality. It's happening all over the country, but they are you're not hearing it on the news. It's happening all over the country. And we keep fighting. We go to court, but guess what? Eventually, you're going to run out of money to fight these lawsuits. And that's why churches are just sued, lawsuit, 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 lawsuit. Now, GoFundMe is saying that you can't raise money on their site if they don't agree with your cause. So what happens then when you keep getting sued, but you can't raise money? You either comply or you go out of business. What are you willing to lose for Jesus?
Are you willing to be faithful to Jesus if it costs you everything? I mean, in Canada right now, pastors can't preach certain passages because they'll be arrested for hate speech. They tried to pass the same law in Congress here in the United States. Luckily, luckily, I know we don't like them, but luckily the Republicans was like, yeah, we're not going to pass that and y'all don't have enough votes to get that through. It sounded really nice. It's called the Equality Act. Who's against equality? If I can't preach all of the Bible, I'm against it. I'm sorry. Arrested if you preach Romans chapter 1 or any passage that might hurt somebody's feelings. That's the whole Bible, right? <laughs> Somebody going to be offended at something, right? <laughs> what do but we shouldn't be, be naive to think that this is never going to come here. It's already happening. We just don't say anything because the people that it's happening to are not on our political side at the moment. Eventually, though, the whole, oh, it's just the white evangelicals. Now, when I hear people, I'm like, do y'all not hear them just saying white Christians, white Christians? Eventually, white is going to be dropped and it's just going to be Christians, Christians, Christians. <laughs> That's how it happens. We get you to hate a group of people, and then it just switches. But it's already in my opinion. Oh, yeah, just. We can take their possessions. I know that this is a side note, right? Because we oftentimes question, well, how did, how, did, how did they do that in Germany where they got the population so riled up that they could take a group of people and put them in concentration camps and exterminate them like they were nothing? And, and then I realized it in October of last year. There was a survey done that said, 46% of Democrats believe that Trump supporters should be put in re-education camps. Hmm? Re-education camps. Because they are so deplorable, they need to be re-educated. I'm just like, listen, whatever you think about people who voted for Trump, how did our country get to the place where almost half of one political party thinks it's okay to put people in Nazi camps to re-educate them? We're already developing the mindset that it's okay to kill anybody we don't agree with. And what we don't see is we could start at we're going to look in one second how every single time this occurs in history, the people at the end of the spear are always Christians. What are you willing to lose for Jesus. He says, 
I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. You know what's, what's interesting that, I, that, I <laughs> that Jesus is pointing out here, and, and one of the things that it has, has really baffled me is that the people who are, are most at risk for doing these things, are people who say they love the Lord. Here, Jesus is pointing out that there are people who are Jews, right, by nationality, but spiritually they don't have a relationship with the Lord. They, they call themselves Jews, but they are really a synagogue of Satan. Those people who say that they're closest to the Lord are usually the ones that have the most fervent passion to persecute. Listen to what Jesus says, and I'm going to turn to something here. He says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. If they, if they sue you and take all of your possessions, don't fear any of those things. If you're at risk of losing your life, don't fear any of those things. He says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about, is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. You know, sometimes we, we, we talked last week about how people in the Ukraine, churches in the Ukraine, <laughs> were literally going to church while they're dropping bombs <laughs> so that they can continue to spread the gospel to people in their country. This week I saw that uh, a priest in Russia was arrested for speaking out against the war in the Ukraine. Now, you know in, you, in, these, diff in these countries that uh, when you disappear, you disappear. Okay, right. That some Christians in China that have been rounded up, their families still have not seen them. It's been years. And so the, the tendency is to say, oh, wait, you know, um, we, we got to exercise wisdom. Jesus wouldn't want this, me to go through this. Jesus says, be faithful. Well, I can be faithful as long as I don't lose my job. <laughs> I, 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 well, I can, well, even if I lose my job, you know, I can be faithful, you know, because I, I think I can manage. I got some money in my 401K. I think I can get by. It's, so we talk about, well, well, maybe I'll be faithful in this, but I don't know about this. I don't. Jesus says, be faithful even in the face of death. That's how far you should be willing to take it. Right? We were talking about this in, in Bible study, I think, the other day. And how the two young ladies in Columbine, uh, the first two ki um, ladies that were young ladies that were killed, they were sitting out in the grass eating lunch, and the two guys walked up to them and uh, pulled a shotgun on them and said, are you a Christian? Now, I would love... You know, if we had the opportunity to do like, um, uh, what is that show? 
I can't think of the show where um, back in the 80s, it was a, a girl, she was an alien, and she could freeze time. She would just, like, go, like, you know, put her fingers together and freeze the time. I can't think of the name of that show. Um, but I used to love it. It came on right after ALF. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I think it's Small Wonder, I think, yeah. Um, but I, the kids are just like, what? What's an ALF? <laughs> <laughs> Look it up on YouTube, all right. But, um, but but again, it's like it's like TGI Fridays had all of the shows, right? Um, but if, if we could just freeze time, I w- what went through their minds? What went through their minds at the moment? Somebody pointed a gun in their face and said, "Are you a Christian?" Right. You know, whatever you say next determines whether you live or whether you die. What would you say? Now, I know in in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. But really, let's stop for a moment and think we're scared to say our grace in front of people because we don't want them to laugh at us. afraid to p- pray in public. I mean, we're, 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 we're scared to suffer in the smallest amount. You'd be like, oh yeah, I would die for Jesus. Really? You struggle living for Jesus. <laughs> I mean, we, we, can't even, we can't even read our Bible every day. We can't take the smallest amount of sacrifice. Jesus says, be faithful until death. How do you get to the point of being faithful until death except for Luke 9.23? If anyone desires to follow me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily, right? Oh, yeah, I could do that. I could take up my cross because my supervisor is my cross. Uh, my husband is my cross. My children is my, my finances is my cross. No, you are your cross. And I don't think that Jesus was talking figuratively either. I mean, they literally lived in a society where they were, they were walking past looking at this every single day. So when Jesus says, take up your cross daily, he was putting in their minds the people who had to carry their own cross to their own death. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, that's what it's going to cost you. Every single day, deny yourself for me. And the only way you'll get to the point of, of passing the test of persecution is if every single day, you make it a habit to sacrifice for Jesus. So when we say, everybody fast on Wednesdays. Well, you know, I can't fast, you know, because you know, I'm going to be real hungry. My stomach be growling, so I got to get a little bit of something. <laughs> it has to be a daily thing of life of sacrifice if we're ever going to get through any persecution. Now, again, if I'm wrong and persecution never comes to America, 
hey, then you just became very spiritually disciplined <laughs> and closer to Jesus. But if the Bible is right and it's going to be universal and worldwide, we should prepare. Now, I know that it's kind of foreign to us, these things, but Jesus is talking to John. And one of the things that I love, I can't remember, was, did I, was it this book I gave you or was it Jesus Freaks? Okay, when Kelly was a teenager, I gave her, um, there's a book like, like um, Fox's Book of Martyrs, but um, it's Jesus Freaks. I think Jesus Freaks is a book that has more modern and updated uh, uh, talks about persecution in the world. This book, um, Fox's Book of Martyrs, was compiled in the 1500s, um, and it goes through a list of, of all of the, not all of them, but a lot of martyrdoms of Christians around the world. Listen to the things that, that would have been in John's mind when Jesus is saying these things about be faithful until death. Okay, We know that, that many of the apostles um, were killed, right? Some were beheaded. Some, you know, according to, uh, to history, were pushed off the roof of the temple, right? James and, and, uh, and because he did not die, they then took a club and bashed his head in. Jesus' brother that wrote the book of James. Okay. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. John was dipped in, in boiling oil. He did not die, so they put him on the island of Patmos. Okay. Now, uh, we've already talked about the persecutions under Nero, right? Where Nero would take the skins of, wild, of, of animals, sew Christians up in it, and throw them to the wild dogs to be eaten. Or how he would take clothes and stiffen them in wax and make Christians put it on. And then he would nail them to a pole and use them as human candles. Listen to... During John's lifetime, Emperor Trajan, right, and this comes from uh, a governor, Roman governor named Pliny the Younger, he wrote a letter to, to the emperor about what he should do about these Christians. He said that when we, t when we, when we pull them before the courts, they literally are not guilty of anything. He says, literally from his letter, the whole account they gave of their crime or error, which Ever it is to be called amounted only to this. This is the crime that Christians were being dragged before the courts for. That they were accustomed on a stated day, right? What day was that? Sunday. Okay. On a stated day to meet before daylight and to repeat together a set form of prayer to Christ as a God and to bind themselves by an obligation not indeed to commit wickedness, but on the contrary, never to commit theft, robbery, or adultery, never to falsify their word, never to defraud any man, after which it was their custom to separate and reassemble to partake in common of a harmless meal. This is a, the, the Roman governor says Christians are brought before the courts because on Sunday mornings they meet together and promise not to commit sin, and then they get together later on for a meal. And he's saying, should we keep killing these people for nothing? He, he goes on to say that we killed them anyway because they're Christians, but should we keep killing them just for being Christians? 
Now, they then talk about St. Ignatius. This is the year 110. Remember, John is on the island of Patmos in the, in the late 90s. He dies in the early 100s. So during John's lifetime, during this persecution, in the year A.D. 110, Ignatius, who was the overseer of the church in Antioch, the capital of Syria, where the disciples were first called Christians, Acts 11.26, was sent to Rome because he professed and taught Christ. It's said that when he passed through Asia, even though guarded by soldiers, he preached the word of God in every city they traveled through and encouraged and strengthened the churches. While in Smyrna, he wrote to the church at Rome and appealed to them not to try to deliver him from martyrdom. So the Christians were getting together. They were going to attack the Roman soldiers to try to free him. And he said, please don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Because they would deprive him of that which he most longed and hoped for. He wrote, now I begin to be a disciple. I care for nothing of visible or invisible things so that I may but win Christ. Let fire and the cross, let the companies of wild beasts, let breaking of bones and tearing of limbs, let the grinding of the whole body and all the malice of the devil come upon me. Be it so, only may I win Christ Jesus. Even when he was sentenced to be fed to the lions and could hear their roaring, he was filled with such de desire to suffer for Christ that he said, I am the wheat of Christ. I am going to be ground with the teeth of wild beasts that I may become pure bread. After Trajan, there was an emperor named Adrian that came right behind him. He was his successor. Under him, about 10,000 Christians were martyred during his reign. Many of them were crowned with thorns, crucified, and had spears thrust into their side to imitate the death of Jesus. <coughs> and then he goes on to talk about, you know, one whole family that, had, that was killed um, and how they were killed, right? But listen to this, right? There's a, one of our, the church fathers named Polycarp. He was actually a disciple of John, the Apostle John. He was actually the overseer of the city of Smyrna, right? the church that John is writing to in our text today. He heard that soldiers were looking for him and tried to escape, with, but was discovered by a child. After feeding the soldiers who captured him, right, and imagine that. Come on in, guys. Y'all want something to eat? After feeding the soldiers who captured him, he asked him for an hour in them for an hour in prayer, which they gave him. He prayed with such fervency that his guards said they were sorry that they were the ones to capture him. Nevertheless, he was taken before the governor and condemned to be burned in the marketplace. After his sentence was given, the governor said to him, reproach Christ and I will release you. Just say you aren't a Christian. I mean, and th this went back and forth for a while, right? Because uh, knowing, knowing the story, back and forth, come on, God, listen. The people are cheering. They want to see you die. But if you just say you denounce Christ, we'll let you go. That's all you got to do. Just say, you know what? I'm no longer a Christian. And we'll let you go. We won't burn you to death. We won't feed you to the lions. Like, we'll just let you go. Okay. 
Polycarp answered, 86 years I have served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? In the marketplace, he was, tried to, he was tied to the stake rather than nailed, right? So what they would do is nail you to, the, to a stake so you wouldn't try to get away, okay? He was tied to the stake rather than nailed, as was the usual custom, because he assured them he would stand immovable in the flames and not fight. You don't have to nail me. I'm going to stand still while you set me on fire. I'm not, e- I'm not even going to fight. Now, they threatened him with being fed to the lions first, right? And he said, bring on the lions. I'm not afraid of lions. They said, well, we'll set you on fire. And th- th- this story doesn't tell you. He goes on to say, the fire that you have burns for a moment. There's an eternal fire that will last forever. So they burn they s- him alive. As the dry sticks placed around him were lit, the flames rose up and circled his body without touching him. The executioner was then ordered to pierce him through with a sword. When he did, a great quantity of blood gushed out and put out the fire. Although his friends, Christian friends, asked to be given his body as it was so they could bury him, the enemies of the gospel insisted that it be burned in the fire which was done. And on and on and on and on and on. They took very seriously Jesus' statement to be faithful until death. Because Jesus said, if you are faithful until death, I will give you the crown of life. Death can't hurt you. Remember, we were watching. We were watching a couple years ago, on one of the movie nights. There was a movie we watched called um, "Paul, Apostle of Jesus Christ," and in that movie, um, it showed how Christians were being rounded up during the, the persecution of Nero. Of course, um, Paul was killed. Paul and Peter were killed during this persecution of, of Nero, and it was showing how Christians were being rounded up and taken into the Colosseum, and and, uh, of course, they were taken into the Coliseum for, like, the gladiator games and, and uh, to be, you know, killed by the animals. One of the stories is of a, a woman, Christian woman named Felicitas, and um, she would not denounce Christ. And so, you know, they tried to feed her to the lions, but the lions wouldn't eat her, right? So then they put her back in her cell, took her out again, and wouldn't eat her. And so, um, you know, so then they started, you know, like, torturing her and stuff like that and, and and they put her in a red hot metal chair to just burn her body, right? Um, and then, you know, they put her back out there, and um, the lions, you know, kind of cut her up a little bit, but she still wouldn't die. So they tied her in, in nets and then hooked it to a, a wild bull that dragged her all over the Colosseum, and she still didn't die, so then they just beheaded her. So, so the movie is, 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 is depicting a lot of these things, and, and, and Paul in prison 
is talking to a group of Christians, and a kid comes up to him, and they can hear the lions roaring. And he says, Paul, is it going to hurt? He says, only for one second, and then you will see Jesus. Only for a second, but then you'll see Jesus. Now, I know that those things seem far away. Well, I mean, that was in the first and second century, you know. Uh, people are not barbaric. That doesn't happen today. We don't, Christians don't go through these kind of things today. Today we live in civilized um, um, civilizations. But, but again, that's because we only think about America. There's a great magazine, Voices of the Martyrs. Right. And they estimate about one hundred and sixty thousand Christians every single year. Killed for their faith. So this story is of a is a, a lot of it, a lot of attacks are taking place in Nigeria where Christians are being uh, being persecuted and killed by uh, Muslims in, in, in the area. They, they roam, raid, raid, go through the Christian towns and, and just slaughter as many people as they can. So li- listen to, the, uh, to, uh, to this uh, really quickly, right? Story. It says, When Abdu and his wife Halima heard that Islamic extremists had crossed from Mali into Niger and killed numerous Christians, some of whom were wearing cross necklaces, Abdu decided to prepare for a possible attack on his village. First, first, the first thing he did when he heard people were coming through his town to kill Christians, he decided to prepare. The first thing he did, he fastened his own cross necklace around his neck to show his devotion to Jesus Christ. We're killing Christians. How are we going to find Christians? They probably won't have the symbol of the cross. What will we do? We start taking off the cross, right? He said, I got to prepare for my city to be attacked because they're going to attack Christians. And the first thing he did was, let me go get my cross and put it on so they can know who I stand with. First, he fastened his own cross necklace around his neck to show his devotion of Jesus Christ. But when one of his seven daughters noticed Abdu's bold display of the cross, she grew concerned. Why are you continuing to wear this cross? 13-year-old Salome asked him. If I have to die, he replied, I want to die with a cross hanging from my neck. Three days later, on the final day of Ramadan in 2021, the extremists entered their village. On the morning of May 12th, just after Abdu and Halima had finished praying and were getting ready for the day, 18 men on motorcycles rode into their quiet village and surrounded the church next to their home. Halima ran outside just in time to see armed men entering the church building. The extremists threw all the Bibles, hymnals, and crosses in a pile outside the church and set them on fire before leaving to hunt down local Christians. About 40 Christian families and 140 Muslim families from the Songhai people group lived in the village. The attack on Abdu in Halima's village is part of a growing trend. 
Although Niger's small Christian population enjoys the freedom to follow Christ in their predominantly Islamic nation, Muslim extremists from Mali, Burkina Faso, and Nigeria are crossing into Niger and other neighboring countries to attack Christians. The extremist groups, often linked to the self-proclaimed Islamic State and Al-Qaeda, have also killed or kidnapped hundreds of community leaders, regardless of religion. Their goal is to establish Islamist control amid the disorder they've created. After the attack began on Abdu's village, he looked out the window and saw the extremists approaching his neighbor's house. Wearing his cross necklace, a traditional African garment with his church's logo on the front and a large cross on the back, he left his home to help his Christian friend. His progress was slowed, however, by the crutches he used for a walking impairment. He's like, I'm on crutches. I can't get away, but I got to go and help my neighbor. Okay. And he did it with a cross around his neck and a big embroidered cross on, the <laughs> on his shirt. Okay. As his wife Halima started to run towards her husband to help him, an extremist approached Abdu. The man kicked his crutches, knocking him to the ground, and then shot him in the head. I ran toward my husband, Halima recalled, and they continued shooting him about eight times. Halima knelt beside Abdu's body, crying for two hours as other villagers fled the attackers. Nobody came to help me because everybody ran away. Abdu was one of five people killed in the attack, and Halima and two of her daughters who witnessed Abdu's murder are still recovering from the trauma. I am always thinking of what has happened, right? And then it goes on to talk about uh, uh, other attacks. But this happens every single day. So I read the, the, I read the different magazines that come. Sometimes Christians are in church. They come and ch chain the door so that nobody can get out and then set the building on fire. Every single day. Every single day. And guess what? They don't flinch. They don't flinch. They're not running and hiding. <laughs> They're not hiding. They aren't trying to scrub their whole lives of, of crosses and stuff like that. In Afghanistan, when we pulled out, they started searching people's phones. Who has a Bible app on their phone? You have a Bible app on your phone, public execution. Guess what they were not deleting? They ain't deleting no Bible apps. They don't flinch. They are faithful until death. Because they know that they will receive the crown of life. You know, it's one of the things that's interesting about church history. Like I said, I've been reading on uh, ancient church history with the persecutions and things like that for a couple months now. And one of the things that's, that's uh, interesting is that when the persecutions broke out, because chur uh, the church became normalized in society, right, um, they gained, you know, like 
they weren't. It was a. They had a long stretch in the two hundreds where there was not a lot of persecution taking place, and so a generation of Christians grew up that they didn't feel persecuted. They were able to live relatively free, right? As long as no one accused them of being a Christian and took them to court, they were f- they were free, right? Um, so when the <laughs> when the persecutions broke out in the early three hundreds, right? Um, just before Constantine be, um, became emperor and and normalized Christianity. They didn't know how to handle it. They, they, they were running in order to, tr- what I got to do to make sure that I don't get persecuted. <laughs> because the freedom and the comforts of society makes us feel, that's not God's will for me. God will never, God doesn't want that. God wants me to be prosperous and enjoy life and, and things are great. And, and if something goes wrong, that's the devil. God doesn't allow bad things to happen to me. So when persecution and bad times come, we run from it. We can't handle it because we're used to being comfortable. And I honestly believe that that is a lot. Uh, that has a lot to do with a lot of. I, I say on this on this end on the Republican side. I think that that has a lot to do with the fervency of what you see taking place in society now. We, we don't understand, we don't know what it's like to, as a Christian, be without, you know, the position of power in society. What, what, what is that like? Wait, 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 what's going on here? Right? Secularism is coming in. All of these things are, are coming in. And, and we, we, don't, we, we don't understand what is that like. Because in America, we have been in the dominant position as Christians for the last 200 years. And we don't know what that looks like when secularization is taking over. I promise you we're going to learn. I promise you we will learn what that's like. And when, we le- when it comes time to learn what that is like, are we going to be so addicted to the comfort that we just scramble to compromise? Because we don't want to experience the pain of persecution. That's something that all of us are going to have to answer if Jesus does not come back first. Which I'm starting to think he's not. <laughs> he's like, y'all going to get this persecution. Y'all didn't, y'all didn't want to live up to what y'all should do as a Christian nation. So y'all got to get the consequences of it. It was all fun and games when, oh, here, put $100 in. God going to give you a BMW. We're going to let y'all experience what the consequences of stupid Christianity is about. Y'all thought that's what my blessings was for. We'll see, what, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I just want to see how, how well the prosperity gospel stands up <laughs> when Christians are no longer in charge. Let me give you this last verse. Cause I, I, you know, I had a conversation with somebody after Bible study. And I, 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 I want us to see this is something that, that runs all throughout Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to go turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I said, I said something in Bible study, and someone called me, and we talked about this. And I, I, I want us to, to, to really see 
what the Bible says about this topic, because I think that this is one of the reasons that we we oftentimes struggle when it comes to persecution. So in, in Bible study, I said. Faith is not a means of getting stuff from God. Right. The way it's pitched to us um, often is, you know, if you just have enough faith, you know, God is going to answer your prayers. You know, God is going to give this to you. Um, ju- just believe hard enough. And in Bible study, I said, that's not the gospel. That's not biblical. That, that's not, that, that is a works-based type of religion, right? Where if, if you just trust God enough, God has to answer your prayers, right? I remember uh, uh, one pastor quoting another book he had read. It was like, you, you can move the hand of God. If you just have enough faith, I'm like, that is insane. How can you move the hand of an of an infinitely powerful God if he does not want to be moved? It's because we don't understand faith. Faith is not the means of getting something from God. It is the means of trusting God no matter what he decides. Now, people will definitely point to all of the examples of people in the Bible who exercised faith and got something from God, right? I mean, they'll start at Genesis and work their way through. You know, this person had faith, this person had faith, this person had faith, this person had faith, and and, and God answered all of those things, okay? Now, notice what people do not do. They start Hebrews chapter 11, but they never finish Hebrews chapter 11. Notice what it says, okay? Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? Usually people stop right there. Right? But those who continue, they say, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are invisible. By faith Abraham offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Right? Skip down to verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Um, Verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of of things not seen, uh, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed God when he was called to go out uh, to the place which um, he would receive as an inheritance. Uh, verse 9, by faith he dealt, dwelt in the land of promise, as in the foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. Um, uh, right, so now all the way down to that, right? Um, verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Okay. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons. By faith, uh, verse 22, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was um, was born, was hidden three months. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to call, be called the son of Pharaoh. 
Um, verse 27, by faith um, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea on dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Now, start at verse 30, right? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. All of these things happened by faith. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and um, Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, Women received their dead raised to life again. All of these things by faith, right? By faith, they received all of these things. They've trusted God. They had faith. They believed that God would do it. And they got all of these blessings from God, right? Now, that's where we believe Hebrews 11's end. It does not. Others... And, and again, by faith, by faith, by faith. So again, this is still by faith. By faith, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, talking about Isaiah being cut in half for, for his uh, prophecy were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, in dens and caves of the earth, and all these having obtained a good testimony. How? Through faith. So being tortured, mocked and scourged and killed and cut in half, being stoned, killed with the sword, you know, wandering in deserts, being destitute, having nothing. That was all done by faith. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, we also, right? So that, that was them. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who are the cloud of witnesses? All of the people that he just mentioned that were tortured and killed and persecuted and destitute, and lost everything they had, and also the people like Gideon, the people who got the front. Since all of them are standing around as a witness to what God will do, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All I'm saying is, is that sometimes our luxury and our belief that God is, if I just trust God enough, he's going to save me, is what hinders us from being faithful. Jesus is looking for people who are going to be faithful no matter what the circumstance is. And I'm not saying he's going to call any of us or all of us to death. I'm not saying that, right? That's, that's not true. We don't know what, uh, who he's going to call to give their life for him. And, only, and you will only have grace in the moment <laughs> to do so if that is his choice. But we should always live with that in mind. That I'm willing to put it all on the line for Jesus. Because if we are honest and think about uh, the Bible, I mean, we may have, you know, I'm going to throw a number out there. Let's say, let's say 100. Let's say 100, you know, examples of people who by faith got what they wanted. How many people were tortured and lost everything they had? for Christ. We run around, oh, Philippians 4, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Do you know he wrote that to a church of people who were living in poverty because they lost houses and everything they owned? So when we say God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory, the context is they stood so firm for Christ, they lost everything. So the reason that they needed God to supply all of their needs, because they had nothing. Nothing. They were relying on the goodness of other Christians to send money to, to help pay for the basics. Now, again, I don't know. I don't know what Jesus has for any of us. I don't know if Jesus will ever call any of us to lose our lives for, uh, for them. I, I, I am afraid for my kids' generation. I'm afraid for them, right? Looking at the way the world is headed, I'm afraid for, <laughs> for, for them, right? Because it's going to be a lot worse for this next generation than it is going to be for, for us, right? But we have to learn today how to remain faithful regardless of what may come. We have to make that decision today that if it costs me my job, my house, my car, you know, my family, you know, because we, we, can <laughs> we, we, can, we can go back and read examples of, you know, um, of, of, of people who are, who are martyred, even in um, uh, mm, the book of Maccabees in the Apocrypha, uh, stories of, of, of Jews who were like, hey, if you don't denounce, you know, the Lord, we're going to kill your children. <laughs> and the story is, uh, I forget the, the, the mother's name. She looked at her children and said, be faithful to the Lord and die well. 
We're, we're going to kill your children if you don't turn from Jesus. I know where my children are going. I'm not going to turn my back on Jesus for my children. That's never going to happen. I love my children with all my heart. I will never turn my back on Jesus for my kids. I was like, I see you when I get to heaven, girls. As Polycarp said, 86 years I've served him. Well, I say 36 years I've served him. Right? 42 minus 6, I was 6 years old. 36 years I've served him. And he's never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme the God who saved me? We have to make up in our minds today. Because the whole point of the book of Revelation is that knowing what is going to happen in the future, it's written. This stuff is going to happen, right? People are surprised. Man, the world seems like it's getting crazier and crazier. It's like we living back in the days of Solomon and Gomorrah. I do remember Jesus saying that before the Son of Man returns, the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, the days of Noah, he said, will return. Okay. I mean, stuff is going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime, my children's lifetime, but we need to be prepared today. And the purpose of prophecy is knowing what's going to come Prepare ourselves now. Live in light of those things now. Prepare my heart now. That if it, it, that if it ever comes to it, I'm going to be faithful. I will not denounce Jesus. And Jesus says, those people who overcome, they will not be hurt by the second death. Now, notice what he says in, to Ephesus. He says, those people who overcome, they will eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. And here he says, those people who overcome will not experience the second death. Right now, that's something that we'll look at when we get to the, to the end of the book of Revelation. The second death is all those people who go to hell, they experience the second death, which is punishment in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. There's no punishment. There's no condemnation to those who overcome. Father, we've come before you today. First, praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. Lord, we have to confess that even myself, we don't think a lot about our brothers and sisters who are being absolutely slaughtered every single day living in fear just because they named the name of Christ and we go throughout our day not thinking about it because we're so preoccupied with our own comfort and our own um, you know daily schedules and getting stuff and we, we don't even think about them and, and even organizations like Voices of the Martyrs that take in donations to try to help these Christians we don't even support those organizations because we're so focused on ourselves 
Lord, forgive us, forgive me for not paying more attention to, other, to the other members of your body that's losing their life. And we do very little to help to alleviate uh, that suffering. I pray, Lord, that you would protect your people the same way you have always protected your people. But also help us to know, as uh, some of the early church fathers said, that the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. That when Christians are persecuted, oftentimes the church spreads and grows. I pray, Lord, that you would help your people everywhere those that you decide not to spare from death, I pray that you would help them to be faithful even unto death because you have promised them the crown of life. We also want to pray for those people who are persecuting Christians. Like Saul, you love them. And you want to convert them into another Paul, people who can go around the world and spread the gospel not only uh, uh, um, in Christian areas, but even to Muslim areas, to their family and, and their friends. And, and we see you doing a lot of those things. We pray, Lord, that you would, would bring them to salvation. Help them to know that even though they were persecutors of, of Christians, that they can be forgiven and they can become great evangelists themselves. And then finally, I pray for us, Lord, those of us in the West, Western countries like America and Europe, where we have allowed our relative peace and safety to put us to sleep. As Paul says in Ephesians, I pray that you will help us to awake from our sleep so Christ can shine on us. Wake us up, Lord. Help us to see all of the things that are taking place around us and help us to see that the prosperity that you have given us is not for us, but it is so that we can be used to spread the gospel around the world before it's too late. I pray, Lord, that you would help us not to allow our comforts to keep us asleep, but I pray, Lord, that we will wake up and see what's going on and determine today that no matter what we face, we will be faithful. We will never turn our backs on you. We ask all of these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. We are going to continue working our way through Revelation chapter 2. Right. Next week, we're going to start at chapter 2, verse 